Praise God. Praise God. Well, today is Father's Day. And uh, mothers, you just, you know, we're sorry. We weren't here when it was Mother's Day. But so for that, I would like to wish all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. And all the fathers, happy Father's Day today. And so we're, we're glad that you're here. Um, I, just over the last couple of days, have been doing a lot of digging into some of my my father, I've been thinking about my father a lot. Uh, he would be, um, oh, I can't do this math, forget it. I, I'm not even going to try. He would be in his early 90s. My mother is 90. If had he lived, he would be in his early 90s. And uh, so that having been said, I ask you to continue to pray. Pray for those who don't know. Pray for my mother uh, and for... Uh, my uncle uh, in Virginia and, and uh, their children, uh, my wife's younger sister, the closest, my mother is the, my, 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 did I just say my wife? Oh, good grief. I've got you on my mind, see? That's so sweet. So my mother, my mother's younger sister, my mother is the oldest, and then there is my Aunt Carmen. My Aunt Carmen passed away last Sunday morning. And so my uncle Malcolm will be 90 uh, later this year. And uh, my, my cousin Valerie posted such a beautiful photo of him earlier in the week as my, my Aunt Carmen was in, in hospice. And uh, my uncle Malcolm would go in and check on her. And then uh, she took a photo of him just reading his little Bible. After he'd come out, she said he'd go into the room, come back out, sit down, read his Bible, and there was a photo of the two of them in that, in that Bible as the bookmarker uh, for him. He was a man of faith. He always, always has been. And my Aunt Carmen, uh, thank God she knows the Lord, knew the Lord. So we're grateful for that. But um, so for to, my mind is very much on my family. And of course, when I heard Brother Williams uh, having to go through uh, a time of grieving now and this, this difficult situation, there is life and there is death, and God is in control of all of it, and we trust in the Lord. Uh, on the other side, the flip side, the life side, um, Bobby and Nancy are grandparents yet again. This past week, we call him, oh, have always called him little Bobby. I think he's taller than you, isn't he, Bobby, right? Uh, and, and his wife, Alex, had their baby. And so C-section, oh my goodness, on the 17th, all right, so that's, that, you got the details right there. And uh, Alex, poor thing, she went through a really, really rough pregnancy, so I, I am sure there's a bit of relief at this point. And so they are, they are grandparents. We have life and we have death, but God is over all, Amen. Uh, and going back to this thought of uh, my having gone, just thinking about my dad, I began to think about him a great deal. And I have two, uh, and of course, you know, three, three brothers who are all pastors. We descended upon his library like vultures when he passed away a number of years ago. My dad was a pastor from the time he got out of Bible college. He went back and became the pastor of his home church in Knoxford, New Brunswick, Canada. He is a, it was a Canadian, 
became a U.S. citizen after somewhere down the line after that. But he became the pastor of this church in Oxford, New Brunswick. And uh, I was going through his sermons, and they are very difficult to read. His penmanship was not the best. In fact, I noticed on a couple of occasions, of course, back then, people hand-wrote everything. It was, you know, on a couple of occasions, I noticed there was a difference. There was incredibly legible penmanship on a, on a few sermons. I think he handed it to my mother and said, will you please write this out? And so it's this beautiful, my mother still has to this day, beautiful cursive handwriting. And uh, he wrote this out. Today, I am going to preach a message that was his. Uh, not the whole sermon. He didn't write out his sermons by any stretch. He wrote outlines. So I'm going to use his outline today. Pastors do that, by the way. They use other people's outlines oftentimes. Uh, the thoughts will be as the Lord gives them to me or has given, to them, uh, given them to me today. But the text and some of the scriptures, and basically it's a two-point outline today. So you can rejoice. It's a two-pointer. Um, but... My dad preached this message first. If I am not mistaken, he preached this in his home church uh, shortly before taking on the church that he then pastored for, for many years, the one that I grew up in. Uh, he preached this in 1955. And, um, and by the way, he used it a few times after that, just so you know, every now and then pastors do that too, don't we, Brother Williams? So from time to time, we go back to a thought that we feel like the Lord is speaking to us, and uh, God uses that. So I want to take you to this morning, and the title of this message simply is, Have Faith in God. Have Faith in God. This is more than a little chorus that we sing from time to time. You, you know that chorus. Um, it is literally scripture. And I want to read a few verses of scripture in Mark chapter 11. Go to Mark uh, chapter 11, and we'll read from verse 12 to verse 14, and then skip down, starting again at verse 20. And the Bible says this, Mark chapter 11, verse 12, the Bible says, the next day as they were leaving Bethany, Jesus was hungry, seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf. He went to find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. Then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it. Now let's jump down to verse 20. The Bible says this, in the morning, as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said, said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the fig tree you cursed has withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go, throw yourself into the sea, and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours, 
And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Now, I would love to tackle this text in its entirety. However, I do have a mission, and the mission is to go through this outline as I have it and really felt it as I began to kind of decipher my dad's handwriting uh, a little bit. There is so much packed into this passage of Scripture today, but the essence of this truth is simple. It is have faith in God. We look around us today and we recognize that many people don't have faith in a lot of things. You used to have faith in other people. You used to have faith in your neighbors, but then your neighbors changed. Your neighbors did some things that were less than desirable for the, the greater good. And maybe now you don't trust the neighbors. You might not, in fact, trust. I know it sounds like the movie Yentl, right? I trust God, but not the neighbors. I, I will tell you that from time to time, we look around us in our world and we look around in our city and we realize there are certain places that when you go there, you are in danger. This is not just our city. It's our major cities. It's many cities. You can travel to different places and realize in those places in the world, you will have a difficult time trusting others. I'm not here today to say that we need to have a renewed faith in humanity. Not at all. Sinful humans will do what sinful humans do. They will follow the dictates of their flesh. They will follow the dictates of the one who is in control of their life, and that is the devil. They will do what they are given to and how they have given their, their own lives to follow after whatever it is that they want to do. But here today, I want to just tell you that if there is ever a time that you and I need to have our faith stirred in God, our faith, the faith that God desires us to have in him, it is right now at this point in history. If there is anything that we've come to understand is you just can't trust those who get a microphone in front of their mouths. What? No, I'm talking about media. I'm talking about politicians. I'm talking about all of these things. They will say one thing, do another. They will say something that is completely out of the ordinary. They will, they will begin to, to just, you know, change how things go and how things, whatever it is they want you to believe, there it comes. I want to tell you today, God help me to deliver the word to you today. I don't want to give my opinion. I really don't. The last thing I want to do is for there to ever be a distrust in what is being presented from this pulpit. I want to tell you today that what is vital and what is most important for the church, it is this, that we advance in faith, that we progress in faith. I'm not talking about being a progressive Christian. No, those folks need some serious help. I'm talking about progressing and advancing in Christ Jesus and in the word of God and how vital it is for us to know the word of God, to get it into our hearts, to get it into our minds and make sure that we have faith in God. 
we are in a time right now where we have to trust God before anything else. If there is anything that I have come to know over this past year or so, it is I have to trust God now more than ever before in my life. If we are to move on in him, you remember the people of Israel, when they came out of the land of Egypt, God led them by, in the daytime, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And whenever the cloud began to move, the people had to move. And we know all of the, the back and forth of the people of Israel during the time in the wilderness. I mean, we know they're complaining and they're grumbling and all of those things that we give ourselves to. We, you know, we sit here here in uh, you know, our, our 21st century, and we kind of look at that, and we say, well, that's not me. Except that when you really look in the mirror long enough, you realize, yeah, that's me. We're no different. We're no different. But when the cloud moved, they had to trust it's time to move. That when that cloud began to shift, and which was the visible presence of God that was with the people. I mean, imagine this. They literally had... A visible, a visible sign that God was with them. It was this perpetual cloud, a pillar of cloud. I don't know how big it was. Don't know how far down it came. I have no idea. I just know that the Bible says there was a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. It, it helped them to have light at night. It helped them to, to know that God was with them. And at times, it actually became darkness to their enemies. Remember at the Red Sea, it became a wall of darkness to, to Pharaoh as he pursued after them. And he couldn't see them, and they couldn't see him. So this cloud, when it moved, they had to trust. It's time for us to move. James chapter 2, verse 14, talks a little bit about faith and the importance of having faith in action. The Bible says this, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have deeds or have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister without clothes and daily, uh, brother or sister is without daily clothes and, and food or without daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does not, nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So I'm not just talking about faith where it is from the heart, I believe you, Lord, but the next question is, well, as James puts it, what are you doing about it? What are you doing about that faith? How is that faith coming into view? How is that faith being played out on a daily basis in your life? What actions are you taking? And, and all of us are, what are, we to, what are we doing with the faith that we have in God? The Bible says here, and James says, faith without works is dead. He says, I'm going to show you my faith by my works. We can't see faith, but we can see the results of faith. There, was, there were four men. There was a paralyzed man who obviously he could not get to Jesus by himself. And four men decided, we're going to bring him to Jesus. Well, they got to the door, and it was, it was a line out the door. 
I mean, the door was packed. They couldn't get through, and no one was letting them through. You would think, wow, here's a paralyzed man. Let's make way. Nobody was making way. He said, fine. Let's get him up to the roof. Think about this for a minute. Now, there probably would have been steps leading up to the roof, as a rooftop was often a time where people would spend the evening in the cool of the day, go up to the roof. So there were potentially steps. That was a little bit of a treacherous climb, I would think. Four men carrying a man on a mat up, up the steps. They get to the roof. Well, now what? Well, in order to get us down to Jesus, we get this man down to Jesus, we got to open up the roof. I don't know whose house that was. <laughs> However, they started tearing the roof off. I would be a little upset if it were my house, but they start tearing the roof off and they make a hole clearly big enough to have a man, a full-length man, average size full-length, on a mat, and all four of them had to lower him down all at the same time. They had to cooperate in faith. Their faith was in action. They believed for this man that Jesus was going to touch him and heal him, and they acted upon that faith and brought that man to place him right in front of Jesus. Now, it seems as though they opened up the roof right in front of where Jesus was. And then here comes, you know, and all of a sudden, you can imagine being in, first of all, the disruption of the roof being opened up and, you know, all of a sudden, it, it, it's not just being torn off and set aside. It's now falling down in the crowd. So then people are making room. And here these guys, they bring them to Jesus. Their faith was put into action. If there is no faith, there is no vision. Faith without works is dead. By faith, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, that Abraham left his homeland. By faith, Noah built an ark. It was by faith that when Elijah came to the widow and her son in Zarephath and, and said to the woman, said, make me a cake, and she only had a little bit of oil, enough to bake one final cake for the survival of her and her son, nothing else after. When she poured, God began to pour and never stopped pouring for the next three years throughout the time there was no, there was famine in the land. God took care of that woman because she acted in faith. I'm going to pour and do what the word tells me to do. So faith, we have to have faith in God. Here's the two points. There is a defensive faith, and there is a driving faith. A defensive faith and a driving faith. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16. He says, in addition to all this, that is the armor of God, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You can extinguish all the flaming arrows. So here we have a defense of faith. It is a shield. Faith is your shield. What is a shield against? The flaming arrows of the enemy. Now we got to imagine, use our imagination a little bit, all the things that the enemy does to try to come against you and pierce your armor. 
And, and if, look, it, we've already been, th- we've been through this years ago, did a series on Ephesians chapter 6 on the whole armor of God. We talked about the various pieces of armor, and the Bible says, and, and Paul writes it in earlier in this chapter, and he says, put on the whole armor of God. In other words, don't leave a piece out. You're going to be vulnerable. But then he says, after you've put the armor on, don't think that's enough. Look, I was a catcher in baseball, so I, I, I get what it was. I had, I had a helmet, a face mask, a chest protector, and I had shin pads. And we know catchers have to kneel, or not kneel, but crouch. And you're in this crouching position all the time. It was my favorite position. I loved it. I, I would have done it until the day I died. Had I, could, I, could I have possibly done I don't know. But I would have had I had the opportunity. And, and I know that if I had gone out there just with the, the helmet, the chest protector, the face mask, and the shin guards, but no catcher's mitt, I'd have been a big dummy. I, my catcher's mitt was my shield of faith that I was able to come up, and, and I had some guys who could throw pretty hard, and I, that, that catcher's mitt, that was my shield of faith, and that stopped the ball from coming and hitting me. And I want to tell you from time, if I had gone out without a chest protector and, and everything else, I'd have been a big dummy. Because every now and then a foul tip comes off the bat and it misses your catcher's mitt, hit you in the chest, and, and it, you know, it kind of jars you. It doesn't hurt too badly. But it, it would hurt a little bit. Without a chest protector, I, that would be incredibly painful. I'd have broken ribs, broken, you know, everything. So you need this, this shield, this shield of faith. The fiery darts of the enemy are what the enemy uses against you. It's those things, those thoughts that he wants to bring to your mind that says that God is not for you. Those thoughts that he says, you're not worthy enough. Those thoughts that say, do you really think God can forgive you of your past? And the enemy, is a, he is so good at throwing up our past in front of us like a fiery dart coming at us. The shield of faith says, no, God has done great things. He has forgiven me. He has blessed me. He has helped me. And that is under the blood. There are all kinds of things. You could, you could go on with this, and I'm not going to do that. But the Bible says, take up the shield of faith. It is defensive. Faith is definitely an, a defensive weapon against the enemy. He is constantly trying to derail the people of God. And the thing that you and I need the most is we need faith. We have to have faith. The Bible indicates also that our victory is through faith. 1 John 5 and verse 4 says this. It says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that that has overcome the world, even our faith. So this is not only a defensive, but the defensive almost turns into an offensive at that moment because you can overcome the world through faith. That that is your ability to overcome everything that the enemy brings against you and says, I'm going to take you down and I'm going to take you out. You, You are no match for me. And yet the Bible says here that faith will give you the victory. Faith 
gives you the victory against the enemy and what he tries to bring against you, no matter what the situation is, and the enemy will use whatever possible he can in your life to be able to get you to doubt, to get you to feel as though somehow God is not for you, he's against you. I want to tell you it is the, act the actual opposite of that, that the enemy is against you, God is for you, and if God is for you, the Bible says, who can be against us? So it's time to trust in the Lord rather than ourselves. It's time to trust in what God is able to do in and through our lives and recognize that we have victory, the victory that overcomes the world. These scriptures are so packed with things I could stay on them, but I, I've got to move on. James tells us this an interesting thing. One of the things that the enemy will often use is what other people say. I'm not going to read this passage of scripture, but James chapter three talks about the tongue. Now it is oftentimes, and I have preached out of James chapter three before, and it is a challenge to all of us as believers to watch our mouths, to watch what we say, to have a tongue that is yielded to the Holy Spirit. But I want to Go at it from a little bit of a different light. For those who have given into it, oftentimes people in the world, but people that are close to you, the tongue can be one of those things that can also be used against you. Right now in our society, it is a, an incredibly, incredibly dangerous time. With all the social media, it is a new extension of the tongue. And trust me, the tongue, James says in chapter 3, he says, the tongue is a fire, get this, that is set on fire by, anybody know the rest? Hell. Set on fire by hell. So often we look in the world and we say, well, you know, this is, that might be true, that might be true. I don't know what's true anymore. We don't know anything. And social media blows up about this thing or that thing, and we think we know the truth, and then we come to know that we don't know the truth, and yet somehow in, in all damage done. And this is one of the most powerful. Somebody once said that the, the arrow can kill from a distance, but, the, but the, the tongue can, or the arrow, an arrow can kill from a short distance, but the tongue from a great distance. And this is one of the things that often comes against the people of God. And I want to tell you, we need to believe God and trust in the Lord and say, God, we're going to have faith regardless of what comes our way, regardless of what criticism happens, regardless of what, what, what is going on, we will have faith. There is a defensive faith, a faith that can overcome the world and can overcome everything that the enemy brings against us. And here's the challenge that it, James chapter 3 brings in, that if you have faith and are trusting in God, you also have faith to control your own tongue. And some of us have a hard time with that. But the Lord helps us. Thank God for the blood. It, that's all I have to say. Thank God for the blood. Thank God for his grace. The grace of God is greater. So we have a defensive faith, but we also have a driving faith. A driving faith. What do we mean by that? Well, it is this. That it is a faith that when it resists the devil, he flees. 
So in other words, it's not you turning around running. It is the enemy turning around running. In fact, let me just read these two scriptures to you. We'll put it up on the screen. First Peter chapter 5 and verse 9. It says this, resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So listen, Peter says this, resist him. Prior to that in verse 8, well, I'll have it up on the screen, but prior to that in verse 8, the Bible indicates that the, the devil goes around as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. So Peter is writing this in the context of verse 8, which then he says, resist him. Don't be afraid of that joker. Don't be afraid of this guy who comes along and he roars really loudly. But in the end, when Jesus died on the cross, he yanked every one of that guy's teeth and he can't do anything but gum you. <laughs> no, that's not in scripture. but <laughs> you, you get the picture. The Bible says he disarmed him. He disarmed him. So if he goes about as a roaring lion, Peter says, as a roaring lion, trust me, I've heard a lion's roar. Scary stuff. I, I've walked into the Lincoln Park Zoo from time to time when the lions were roaring, and you could hear it from all ends of that place. I mean, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredibly scary kind of sound. And could you imagine knowing that there, there would be no barricades? Yeah, thank you. No, I, leave it for somebody else with a high-powered rifle. <laughs> not me. I'm not interested. James chapter 4 and verse 7 says this. It says, Submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the idea of resistance is not just a defensive posture. It is an offensive posture. It is, no, I'm standing against you. It is, it is as David did in front of Goliath where the Bible says that when he went down to meet Goliath, the Bible says in 1 Samuel 17 that he ran toward the giant. He was going to resist him by running toward him. And he got close enough to him, he let that sling go. We know the end of the story. David did not back down. He didn't back up the hill. You know, they were on two, two hills. There was a valley down below, a brook that ran through. He didn't get out and pick up his rocks and then say, okay, I think I, from this distance I'm good. No, the Bible says he ran toward him. And he let that sling go. You and I need to run toward the enemy, resist the enemy. Has a vision this, this driving faith has a vision that is willing to do something for the Lord that says, God, use me. So oftentimes we're saying, God, bless me, bless me, but we're not saying, God, use me. Why? We want God to bless us. Why? So we can just get fat? So we can spiritually just gorge ourselves on all the blessings? No, he wants to use you. He wants to use you for his glory. He wants to use you for his power. He wants to use you for his kingdom. And as we have this driving faith, listen, I got to tell you, there's a driving faith that drove, that drove Paul and, and others throughout the world at that time to deliver the gospel. Paul went into cities where they heard he went into Athens. They knew nothing of Jesus. They knew nothing of, of, of the God of the Israelites, absolutely nothing. And yet Paul goes into the city and he sees an image and an idol and it says to the unknown God, he says, ha, there's my end. 
Let me tell you about the unknown God. He says, let me tell you about who he is. And Paul delivers a message, and all of a sudden now a church is born in Athens, and a church is born in Corinth, all of these places where they knew nothing. They might have had some Jewish believers there, but, uh, but in the end, there was, in many cases, going into parts of the world where they had never heard about Jesus. Why? Because there was a driving faith, a faith that says, i got to get up out of Israel, out of that place where I was, and I've got to go somewhere else and preach the gospel. It was a driving faith. It is a driving faith for you to deliver the word of the Lord to somebody in need. Somebody who's desperate. Somebody who is without hope. And so often we sit back and we say, well, then, you know, that's somebody else's job. That's Pastor Lawrence. Let me call Pastor Lawrence. I'm sure he'd be happy to call this person. person I never have met, but you know. Oh, but maybe God wants to use you. Maybe God wants to somehow use you in that situation. Let that driving faith drive you to carry out what God wants you to do. It is a faith that caused Gideon to chase after a Midianite army with a mere 300 men. Think about this for a minute. The Bible says in Judges chapter 6, it tells us that at that time when the Midianites came in, they came in with so many, so many, so many of their armies and, and camels and whatever they had to carry themselves on that it says they were just as the sands of the sea. The Bible doesn't even bother to give them a number. No counting. It was just there's so many, they're like the sands of the sea. And Gideon is chasing them out of town in faith with a mere 300 men. I want to tell you that driving faith will cause you to do things that the enemy is not ready for, that the enemy is not aware that could possibly be done. God has something good in store for his people, and he desires us to be used for his glory and for his kingdom. Not only this, and I close with this, We'll turn to this passage, go to Mark chapter 5, in fact. But a driving faith caused a weakened, frail, sickly woman to push through the crowd to touch just the hem of his garment. The Bible says this, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, nobody told her this, she thought, this is her faith, if I t just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Think about that for a minute. The Bible says she was, she was destitute because she had no money. She spent everything that she had on a doctor who could not make her well. She had nothing. The only thing that she had was a faith that drove her. She didn't have money that could drive her. 
oftentimes we look at people with wealth and influence. Oh, that's what drives them. I got to tell you, the people of God may not have wealth and influence, but they have faith that can drive them in situations that will bring about a, a change for the kingdom of God and the glory of God. And the Bible says here that she went through the crowd. Now, after that, we didn't read the scriptures, but later on, Jesus turns around and said, who touched me? I felt power go out from me. I felt healing virtue go out from me. Who touched me? And the disciples said, Jesus. And the, the, the original language bears out that people were so close to Jesus, they were pressing against him. They were bumping into him. But none of those people received anything. It was the woman who reached out to Jesus with that driving faith that said, I need something from him. I've got to have something that is greater than what, I, what I've experienced to this moment. And in my life up to this time, no one has been able to do any good. But she, the Bible says this, that she knew if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. And she pushes through the crowd. I mean, you, you can imagine you've got, some, you've got some fairly sizable people in the crowd. You've got some strong men and, and women that are, are close. They're all healthy and strong and they're close to Jesus and they're trying to get around Jesus and they want to be close to him, but they're not reaching out to him in faith. What a tragic story when you think about it. There is a tragedy in there, and that is all the people didn't get anything who could have. All the people who could have experienced his power and his grace in that moment, they were just there to just watch. Let me just observe. This woman, was she was like, I don't want to be a spectator. I, want, I need something from him. Listen, when we come into church, the last thing we can afford to do is just say, well, what's going to happen today? Well, we know it's going to be this and it's going to be this. Right now, we're relegated basically to two things. We're going to worship and we're going to preach. Well, you can, you can sit there and say, well, that's, that's old. Is it really? Or are we coming in are We coming in for a show? Are we coming in for Jesus? Are we coming in to, to have faith? Are we reaching out to him to have faith? Say, God, I need you today. I need you to touch me. I want us to stand to our feet right now and say, Lord, give me a driving faith that will push me into your arms, that will push me into your, into, into the, into your presence to be able to receive from you everything that I need. Let me have that defense of faith. When the enemy hurls his, his flaming arrows at me, I will have the shield of faith. Increase my faith, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you today. We thank you, Lord, for the gift that you've given to your people, the gift that says we have the ability to believe in you and to trust in you. Lord, long before there was ever a law, long before there were ever there was ever anything, the Bible tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. I pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith and help us to trust in you no matter what we're going through, no matter what the situation is, no matter what we are dealing with. Heavenly Father, I ask you, O oh God, by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would have your way in our lives today. I pray for your people today. I pray that you would increase their faith. I pray, Lord, that you would help them in the midst of their circumstance, in the midst of their trouble. God, we pray, Lord, by the power of your word, oh God, that you would increase our faith. Make it grow, Lord, in the name of Jesus. As your word tells us that everything is by faith from first to last. Lord, 
everything in between operates by faith. It doesn't matter, oh God, Lord. We come to you in faith. And Lord, we have to go out in faith. I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus for your people that you would increase our faith in the time that we're living in. Help us to trust in a God who cares, a God who loves, a God who honors faith above all else. And I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus, that we would do what you have told your disciples to do, and that is to have faith in God. Help us, Lord, I pray. And God, we're going to give you all the glory. We give you the honor in the wonderful and the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Amen. God bless you. So glad you're in the house of the Lord today. And uh, if you have an offering to give, you can see Candace at the door. Otherwise, continue to give as you have done in the past. God bless you.